Good morning. I am certainly glad to be here with you today, and I'm glad you're here with us. We've got a lot of people traveling. We got the Cole family preaching up in Oklahoma. Well, Jeremy's preaching. I doubt. Well, Amber may have preached all the way up. Who knows? <laughs> but we're glad to have you here today. I got to thinking about uh, what I was going to talk on, and. Uh, You know, Ty's sermons last week were a whole lot of Bible stories. That's that's what he preached about. And I've thought a lot about that since then because, you know, as I grew up, I remember hearing my dad preach. And he preached those old stories all the time about King Sennacherib. Y'all remember who that was that Ty talked about? People that, well, maybe if you weren't here, you don't remember who that is. People who who lived lives for God and people who lived lives defying God and disobeying God and all the things that happened in their life. When I was a little boy, it seems like every night, I know it wasn't, but we had a children's Bible story book. And my mom or my grandmother, if she happened to be in town, would get out the Bible story book and they would read to us at night and it had big pictures, you know. And I, I learned so many of the stories about Jonah and the whale and Noah and the ark and the Tower of Babel, you know, the big tower that they built. And, and I just was thinking about the value of learning those stories. You know... When you look at it one way, stories are just stories, right? Somebody asked me when when we were talking about this earlier on in the week when I was thinking about this. They said, well, you know, is there really any more value in the Bible stories than there are in like the fables, like the boy who cried wolf or something like that? Is there anything better about Bible stories or does it matter? Are they just stories or is there a particular value or reason that we get out of Bible stories? And I want to tell you, I believe there is a great value. And and I want to tell you right up front, my goal today is to get you interested enough in a story that if you didn't hear all the sermons last week, you'll go on our website and download them and listen to them and you can know who King Sennacherib is and what God's message to us is about that guy. And also that you'll maybe get you a children's Bible story book. I'm not promoting this one, but it just happened to be on the pew back there. But get your children's Bible storybook and teach your kids the stories out of the Bible. It will make a difference long term in your life if you'll learn and know the stories of the Bible. Now, every sermon last week, Ty began with this Scripture. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. And he always quoted that Scripture, but he didn't talk a lot about that Scripture. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to point out a couple of things. Notice here, he says that the purpose of the stuff that was written before, that's all those stories in the Old Testament what Paul was talking about. Everything that happened to Noah and Daniel and the lion's den and King David fighting Goliath and all the things that happened in the Old Testament, he said that stuff was written for our learning. For us to learn. Well, what value is there in learning those stories? Just so you'll know some neat stories? No. Well, the value is that we, through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Do you ever need hope? Do you ever get discouraged? you ever just think like, life is just sitting here and it's not worth 
Oh, I mean, not that I want to die, but it's just not worth a whole lot. I'm not getting anywhere. It just... What am I doing here? You need hope? The Bible says that's what these Scriptures, these stories, these things that we learn out of the Bible, that's what they're for, is to give you and I hope that, you know what, when I messed up, God still loves me. Now there's a story in the Old Testament about Abraham. Abraham, the father of the faithful... The nation of Israel came from Abraham. That Jesus was a descendant of Abraham. All the Bible, when it talks about faith, talks about Abraham. They head off to Egypt. And as they're coming into town, Abraham pulls Sarah. And I guess they stop at the last Starbucks, this side of Egypt. And he says to her, he says, Honey, you are a fine-looking woman. That's a good thing, guys, to tell your lady. (laughs) You are a fine-looking lady. And I know those Egyptians. And I want you to understand right now, they're going to want you. And I want you to know right now, you tell them I'm your brother, they can have you. (laughs) Really? The father of the faithful? You would think the story of Abraham would be pretty good without that little piece, wouldn't you? He messed up. You know what's the most amazing thing about that to me? He did it twice. (laughs) There was another time he did the same thing to save his skin from somebody he thought would kill him to get his wife. Now, I hope you wouldn't do that. But I do know that when I've messed up, knowing that the father of the faithful messed up and God still loved him, and God still forgave him, and God still made all of His promises come true to Abraham. That gives me hope. That helps me through that. Did you know that Jesus used the Old Testament stories in His teaching? A lot of things in literature refer to Jesus as the master storyteller or the great storyteller. As Jesus went around and preached, He didn't have PowerPoint and all this kind of stuff. But what He did was He gathered everybody around Him. Thousands of people would follow Him. And He would tell stories. Now, a lot of the stories were new stories like the story of the seed and the sower. Gathers everybody around. He says, let me tell you, there was a farmer and he went out to his farm and he was scattering seed and some fell on thorny ground and stony ground and and dry ground and good ground and wayside ground. and, And he told stories. There was a certain man who had two sons, he said. And the younger son said, Father, give me what is mine. So the father gave him his his inheritance. And he went into a far country and wasted his substance on riotous living. Then he wakes up in a pig pen and he says, I'm going home to dad. Now I'm paraphrasing, but Jesus told these stories. Another thing Jesus did is He told the stories from the Old Testament. He told the Old Testament stories like Paul... Not Paul. Ty's good, but he's not Paul. (laughs) Like Ty told us last week. Jesus told a story about Cain murdering Abel. He talked about the murder. That happens in Genesis chapter 4. 
By the way, if you ever wonder, if you ever run into somebody that tells you Genesis, the first part of Genesis, is not literally true, Jesus thought it was. Jesus told these stories. Jesus told about Cain murdering Abel. Jesus told about Noah and the flood. Jesus had all His disciples around Him and He said, you know, the the day is coming when it's going to be just like it was with Noah and the flood and people are going to be feasting and, and all of a sudden destruction is going to come on them. Jesus told the story about Moses or about Sodom and Gomorrah. He was preaching in an area and they wouldn't listen. And He said, you know what? It's going to be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah than for you. Jesus told the story about Moses on the mount receiving his call from God. Jesus talked to the people as they were around about manna from heaven. And he said, you know, that manna from heaven, he said, I'm the bread from heaven that God's truly sent down to the world today. Jesus told the story about Jonah and the whale. One time he was preaching and the people challenged him and they said, show us a sign. He said, I'm going to tell you the sign you're going to get, the sign of the prophet Jonah. Now, Ty preached to us about Jonah and about what happened to him. You know what the sign of the prophet Jonah is? Jonah was swallowed by a whale and was down in the deep, in the ocean for three days before that big fish spit him out on the shore. Jesus said, that's your sign. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to be buried and I'm going to be down in the depths of the earth for three days and then I'm going to come out just like Jonah did. That's your sign. Jesus used these stories and I want to talk about some specific reasons that He used these stories. Specific reasons it's valuable for you and I to learn these stories and take effort to know what God teaches in the Bible in these stories. One is that the Bible teaches in principles. You know, I've just got this children's Bible up here. Here's a, here's a full Bible. I don't know how many pages are in this. There's 827 in the New Testament there, and I don't know how many in the Old Testament. Can you imagine how big this book would have to be if it listed every single movie that was appropriate for a Christian to watch and every one that wasn't? Can you imagine how big this book would have to be if it listed every single drink that it was appropriate for a Christian to drink and how much of it they could drink and every drink that was not okay for a Christian to drink or what the limits were on it. Can you imagine? The whole world couldn't contain all the rules and regulations, could it? But the Bible, one of the brilliant things about God's Word is that it's full of principles and it teaches us in principle. And a lot of those principles are shown in stories. Instead of just having a list of rules that was 
10 billion items long that nobody could ever learn all of. What he does is he takes people like King David and David lives his life and David does the things that he does in his life and he shows what happens when you obey God and when you're kind and compassionate and godly and then when you're not and when you're disobedient. And he shows the things that happen in the life of David. So you and I see that. And principles are taught and encapsulated in all of the things in the Bible. You know, in Romans chapter 14, he talks about principles. And he gives us a principle in Romans 14 I call the holding principle. And it's not part of a story, but it illustrates what a principle is. And he says this, "...whatsoever is not of faith is sin." Now what that means to you and I, he's talking about doing things that are questionable. You ever wonder if it's okay to do certain things? As I mentioned when we had all the young folks here, when I was a kid, the big questionable deal was dancing. Is dancing okay? And you know, a lot of the churches back then said, no, dancing's evil and sin and wrong. And a lot of parents said that. Nowadays, that's not such an issue with people. But there was real questions about that. Is it okay to wear certain things or go certain places. Do you ever have things that are questionable? His answer to that is this. Whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What that means is this. If you're not sure it's pleasing to God, don't do it. Now that covers a lot of stuff, doesn't it? And the honest truth is, there are probably a whole bunch of movies in my life that I wouldn't have seen if I was running by that principle. There are probably places in my life I wouldn't have gone if I was running by that principle. I know there are. There's things I wouldn't have said if I was running by that principle. So you see, God teaches in His Word not just through commands but through principles. Now, I want to give you an example of how the apostles used the Old Testament and these Old Testament things. The Apostle Paul was asked a question one time, and the question was this, should we support preachers? Or should preachers just be just like everybody else and they go work and they earn their money and then on Sunday they happen to preach? Should the church give money to support men who dedicate their life to preaching the gospel. And here's his answer. He says, Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in the word and doctrine. Now here the specific question was this. If you have an elder in a church, and he's devoting his full time to serving and working in that church, should the church support him? Basically, the answer there is yes. Well, why? Here's what's interesting. Look at his answer. For the Scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Really? (laughs) 
what does that have to do with it? Now that's in the Old Testament, and that's part of the rules in the Old Testament. What would happen is they would have oxen, and they would make these oxen, <clears throat> they'd yoke them together, and they'd be out there treading out the grain. Now, we don't tread out grain anymore, but they had oxen, and they would walk on the grain. And what that would do is that would break the pieces of grain off the stalks. And that's the way they would separate the grain from the stalks. It was just an easier way to do it than doing it by hand. But what some people would do is they would put muzzles on the oxen so the oxen couldn't eat that grain that they were treading off because, well, we want the grain, so we're just making the oxen work. And the law of God was, if somebody's out treading off the grain, the oxen, don't you put a muzzle on that ox, but you let that ox eat from what he's doing, the work that he's doing. Now that's a principle. Do you think God was really concerned about oxen? I mean, okay, probably, but God wasn't an animal planet kind of guy. You know what this was about? This was about a principle that if somebody's doing the work, they ought to receive the benefit from the work that they do. So you see the apostles, and this is, this is one of many, many illustrations we could use, but the apostles commonly used those Old Testament stories, Old Testament situations, to teach relevant truth to you and I for New Testament situations. Another one that's not on my chart here, but is Peter in 1 Peter chapter 3. He talks about Noah and the flood. And he said, just like God saved eight souls by water... Today, we're saved by water when we're baptized. The passage that we started with, with the examples, we're fixing to go and look at that 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says this, "...all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea. All were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea." Do you remember that story? Maybe you're familiar with it. I hope you are, but maybe not. What happened is the children of Israel were slaves. The whole nation were slaves in Egypt. And God sent Moses to go lead them out of Egyptian bondage. And the Pharaoh said, no, you're not going to get to leave. And so God did plagues. He sent plagues of different kinds on Egypt. One of the plagues was a plague of flies. There were plagues of diseases. There was a plague of darkness. There was a plague where God turned all the water in the land to blood. Terrible plagues. Finally, the last plague was that the oldest child in every family, except for the Israelites, died. When that happened, Pharaoh said, get out. And so you had this nation of Israel, which was three or four million people, leaving. They moved that night. I mean, they loaded up their stuff and headed out. You talk about a traffic jam. I mean, they had a lot of people. And they head out and they're going and then Egypt, who has the most powerful army in the world, the Pharaoh changes his mind again and says, wait a minute, we can't let these people go. We've had slave labor for 400 years. We can't, you know, our economy's going to collapse. We've got to go get them. So he gets the army and they start chasing Israel and they get them right down against the border of the Red Sea. And there's nowhere to go. The Red Sea is a huge body of water. And these slaves are pinned down there and they've got no way to fight, they've got no weapons, and here comes the most powerful army on earth. And Moses told the people in Exodus, he said, you stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. And he held up his staff, and the wind began to blow, and it got dark. 
And the next morning, when the sun came up enough they could see, the waters of the Red Sea had separated. You can see it in the picture up there. If you can see that picture, it's kind of small. Whoa. Can't if I turn it off. Right there, the waters had separated and there was a big cloud over the top. And those people walked down through on dry land all the way to the other side. And then the Egyptian army tried to follow them and when they did, God just closed the waters over them and killed them all. Here in this passage, He says that was baptism. that sound like baptism to you? Well, the word baptize means to immerse or to completely cover. That's why when we baptize, we don't sprinkle water on people because that's not baptized. The word baptize means to immerse. When we plunge somebody under the water, they're completely covered with water. He said that's what happened. These people were completely surrounded by water and they were joined to Moses in the cloud and in the sea. Then he says this, They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. The people got thirsty in this land. They didn't have enough water. So Moses went and he struck a rock, and when he did, water just poured forth out of that rock. And the people all drank water. Now, if you're familiar with Jesus and His teaching, Jesus said that He was living water. Jesus was struck. And the blessing of eternal living water for us comes from Jesus Christ. That's His point here. Then He says this, But with most of them God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Do you know God brought these people out of Egypt, He took them through the Red Sea, He did these great miracles, opened up a rock and water comes out, they all drank, He sent them manna, He sent them quail, He he took care of them. And then it says this, with most of them, God was not pleased and their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. Why? Why tell us that? Why does that matter to you and I? What difference does that make to us? His next statement, he says, Now these things became our examples. Our examples for you and I? Yes, this tells you and I what God does with people, how God deals with people. Look at this. He says, "...to the intent that we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted, and do not become idolaters, as were some of them it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play." Do you remember what happened after they went through the Red Sea and God destroyed the Egyptians? They went down to a mountain, a big mountain. There was lightning and thunder and fires on the mountain, earthquakes. Moses went up on that mountain and he was gone for 40 days. And while he was gone, you know what the people did? They built a stinking cow and started worshiping the cow out of gold. Are you kidding me? That's what they did. You know what God did when they did that? He killed a bunch of them. The earth just opened up and swallowed them. God had just led them out of Egyptian bondage and they worshipped a golden cow. Now, would you do that? Really? No, not me. Really? Probably not. Maybe. I hope. 
But the idolatry that we get ourselves involved in is not worshiping gold cows, is it? We worship money, power, fame, sex. Those are the things America worships. Self. We can do the very we can read the commands of God about not demanding our own way but considering others better than ourselves and then go get out here in the car and run somebody off the road that gets in our way. Are we really that different? There's value in knowing that God expects us to be different. And it's not okay for us to get just a little bit of Jesus and then go about and live the rest of my life without Him. That's not okay. And I need to learn that. I need to know that. He goes, Head says, Nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents. Nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. These are other things that happened. The other stories that the people who read here were familiar with. He says, don't do that. Don't commit sexual immorality. You know what? That's a command from God. It's a command from God America doesn't obey as a whole. But it's a command of God. Sexual immorality, don't do it. You know what God did to people who did that? 23,000 of them He killed in one day because of their sexual immorality. It's not okay. It's not just, well, the way the world is nowadays. It's wrong. It's sinful. Don't tempt Christ. Don't complain. Do you ever complain? God destroyed people for being complainers. How easy that is to gripe and complain about problems we have in our life, right? Don't do that. Why? Because all these things happened to them as examples and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. These stories are for you and I. People... Brothers and sisters, your kids need to know how God deals with people who obey Him and don't obey Him. Your children need to know they have a loving God who doesn't want to destroy them and will forgive them when they mess up, but a God who's not just going to look the other way if they choose to walk in ungodliness. We need to know that. Your grandkids need to know that. Your friends need to know that. And you need to know that. I need to know that. We need to be reminded and remember that. You know, there's a tendency, especially if you're one of the people who always comes to church, you know, and you do pretty good, and you try to be decent, and you try to love God, and you maybe you study your Bible some, and you help people. There's a tendency in all of us to think at times, you know, I'm doing all right. The reason he told these stories is because people have that tendency. Here a few weeks ago, I watched something on TV that just made my toes tingle while I watched that. It was this. Any of y'all see that? That guy is on a tightrope walking across the Grand Canyon. And he had no net and he had no safety harness, nothing but his stick and his feet and that rope. Granted, it was a big rope, but 
It was a Grand Canyon. You know, when uh, some of y'all see that, give me some head nods, yes or no. Did some of y'all see that? You know what he said when he started walking out on that? Do you remember that? God, I praise You. Jesus, You're my Savior. You're my Master. You're my Commander. You have given me life. And he just talked to God and he talked to Jesus and he talked to Jesus and he talked to Jesus and he talked to God. You know why he was doing that? (laughs) He was 1,500 feet. He was focusing on praising God because he was in a precarious situation and he knew it. Now, you know what happened when he got almost to the other end? He'd been saying, thank you God, thank you Jesus. And he got almost to the other side and you know what he said? I want to say thank you to the Discover Channel and uh, to all my crew. And He starts thanking the people then instead of God because he thought he'd made it. You know, you and I live our lives and we have a tendency sometimes to get lazy to get to where we think things are going pretty good spiritually. I've been to church six times in the last two months, so I'm doing pretty good. No, therefore let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall is the message of those stories. Those stories about people who think because God loves them, they can live sinfully. Because God loves them, they can do whatever moves them at the moment to do, even if it's unrighteous. And this passage is teaching, yes, God loves you, but the fact that He loves you does not give you right to sin. Jesus didn't come and die so you could be sinful. He came and died so you would be righteous. That's a message we need, and that's a message we learn from these stories. I'm about done here. A couple other things I want to mention. David, who married Jordan has been working with me this summer and we've been working on his preaching. And one of the things that I've told him over and over this summer, don't do when you preach, is don't get up here and say, now we all know the story of Jonah, or we all know the story of Sennacherib, or we all know the story of... Because the truth is, we don't all know those stories. You need to tell the stories to people when you're preaching. Well, you know... That's true. But as I was preparing this sermon, one of the things that I noticed Jesus doing over and over when He was asked a question is Jesus' answer to the people asking Him was this. Have you not read? He asked them that over and over. They'd say, Master, tell us what should be done in a situation where a man's married to a woman. And He said, Have you not read? Have you not read? Have you not read? Jesus said that all the time. Because Jesus expected God's people to have read. Jesus expected God's people to know what the Word of God said. Now I want to encourage you, read. Read the stories. And if you need to start in a children's Bible, then start in a children's Bible. Don't be ashamed of that. But start reading the stories. I'll tell you, parents, it's great to use something like this. I will encourage you. 
check the Bible, some of them change the stories. <laughs> Just because it says Bible on it doesn't mean it's really Bible. Make sure the story's true to what the Bible says. We had one when our kids were young that I would change the stories to be correct as I told them to the kids. We looked at the pictures. Learn the stories in the Bible. They will help you in the long run understand God and His ways and His things. So why Bible stories? Jesus used them often in teaching. They clarify spiritual principles and we can learn from their examples. We should learn from their examples. Very vital truths to our lives. So how to start? I told you at the first how I wanted you to start. Listen to the sermons from last week. Ty told some good Bible stories and made application. I'll tell you also, we've got on the church website, we've got stories. Dusty has preached a lot of Bible story sermons. He's told a lot of the stories out of the Old Testament and drawn application for us. Go back through. There's lots and lots of good teaching on those. You can listen to those while you're driving in the car or while you got your iPod in, while you're jogging or doing your workout or whatever. You don't always have to be listening to music or ESPN. Listen to something that will teach you God's Word. Secondly, listen to other Bible story sermons. Come to church often enough that you hear the stories of the Bible taught so you learn them and you know them. And when you get here to church, pay attention and listen. Don't just endure the sermon, but listen and try to learn the details of the stories. And read some Bible stories to your kids. The benefit to that is your kids will learn, and number two, you'll learn too. When I was young, I knew who Sennacherib was. When Ty put that up there as a title, I was going, Sennacherib. I remember that guy's name, but I don't really remember what he did or who he was. You need reminded of the stories. You need to run over it more than once occasionally. Learn those things. This stuff is there for you and it's valuable. I hope that, uh, that you've been encouraged to learn some stories in the Bible. Learn some of those things and they will benefit your life in practical ways. And then, if you ever do hear a preacher who stands up and says, now we all know the story of Elisha, you'll go, yeah, I know that story. And then you'll understand the point he makes even if he doesn't tell it to you. You can apply it to your life and your children, your grandchildren. If there's any spiritual need you have today, we certainly want to offer an invitation if you'll come make that need known. One of the messages we learn from Abraham and David and all these stories is that God takes people where they are. God doesn't expect you to have accomplished or reached a certain level of righteousness before He's interested in you. He'll take you where you are, no matter what your failures or your mess-ups or your flaws have been. He takes you where you are and then He changes you from that point on. And that's why when you come to God and you say, just as I am, you don't say, just as I'm staying. You say, just as I am and I'm going to begin to change for you. So if there's a need and you want to bring that before the church this morning, we offer this song of invitation. If you'll come to the front while we stand and sing.